Well, hello and welcome to H2 Tech Talk, the podcast series from H2 Tech. That's the new hydrogen technology journal from Gulf Energy Information. So I'm Adrian Bloom, Editor-in-Chief of H2 Tech and your host for H2 Tech Talk. And this week we'll be talking with Cornelius Mathis, CEO of DII Desert Energy, about the hydrogen strategy in the Middle East, and also what DII's recently launched hydrogen advocacy organization, the Meta Hydrogen Alliance, is doing to further that strategy. So before we get started with the discussion, I'd like to remind you to share and subscribe to the H2 Tech Talk podcast for more expert discussions on technology and trends in the hydrogen sector. It's easy to subscribe. Just click the subscribe button on iTunes or Blueberry. So now I'll start by asking Mr. Mr. Mathis to tell us a bit about his role at DII Desert Energy and the formation of the Meta Hydrogen Alliance. Hello, Adrian. Thank you, first of all, for having me. It's a, it's a true pleasure. And the topic hydrogen obviously has become quite hot, not only in the region, but globally. So uh, I'm the CEO of DII Desert Energy. We are a public-private sector network, or you can say a kind of think tank based out of the UAE active in the region for almost 12 years now and our core is obviously here you know to boost the energy transition with the desert tech 3.0 so it's all about green electrons and green molecules and green molecules indeed hydrogen and green hydrogen has uh, uh, over the last few years uh, you know complemented our new vision but i think it's uh, important to point out that we look at the energy transition from a holistic point of view. So how the entire energy system can be moved uh, you know, towards a more sustainable and emission-free energy system. Fantastic, that's great. Thank you for that information. So um, we've been hearing about different hydrogen initiatives in various countries in the MENA region. And I know some are quite advanced such as the green hydrogen projects that are planned for uh, Saudi Arabia's Neom City, um, and then also there's a green hydrogen project planned in Abu Dhabi. Uh, I know in some other countries are just starting to take a serious look into hydrogen's potential. So um, can you share just kind of an overview of the major hydrogen initiatives that are happening in the region and, and how the, the MENA Hydrogen Alliance might be involved with any of those? Sure, with a pleasure, Adrian. So um, looking back a few years from now, so renewables has become a huge uh, success story over the last 10 years. Uh, now there is, uh, let's say, uh, a huge capacity installed among the world's lowest prices. So this obviously makes green hydrogen possible. Now uh, on hydrogen, we've been working uh, probably over the last uh, four to five years on the topic uh, hydrogen. And uh, um, more recently, when uh, two years ago, we published uh, the North Africa Europe Hydrogen Manifesto, uh, we saw a great deal of interest. So this brought us to launching uh, the MENA Hydrogen Alliance, also thanks to my colleague uh, Frank Wouters, who's cha chairing the DRI advisory board. And thanks to him and colleagues like uh, Professor Art van Wyk, you know, we've really been spearheading uh, on the hydrogen side. So, um, well, we obviously as the Alliance are here, first of all, to do, bring together people, to have a discussion platform, but then obviously, you know, to work with uh, public sector stakeholders, uh, to, to advise, uh, you know, to show business cases from a technical, from an economical point of view, a little bit the bridge between Europe and uh, the Middle East and uh, North Africa, but also globally. 
And in terms of um, concrete projects, 2020 has truly been not only globally, but also in the region, uh, really with uh, massive announcements. One, you already mentioned uh, the NEOM project in Saudi Arabia, uh, a $5 billion uh, green hydrogen and green ammonia project with uh, approximately four gigawatts of joint solar and wind generation with probably something like a two gigawatt electrolyzer capacity. Um, so this is an advanced stage by some of our partners uh, with Aquapower and uh, NEOM and an additional actually American company called Air Products uh, guaranteeing the offtake as well. And uh, so this is uh, hopefully getting to financial close this year. And it's been obviously uh, a lighthouse project, not only regional, but globally. Um, you rightly pointed out to the first pilot project in the UAE, which has been started two years ago at uh, the Mohammed bin Rashid Al Maktoum solar park in Dubai, mm -hmm. which has around a gigawatt of solar PV operating and uh, the local utility Diva together with uh, Siemens uh, kicked off this project and it's more or less ready now. Um, I understand it's in test commissioning. So this is obviously um, a lighthouse project will be the first uh, operational one. Uh, just uh, last week, there were bold announcements in Abu Dhabi by um, uh, Siemens and uh, uh, Mazda Mubadala on uh, significant uh, green hydrogen and also e-fuel plants uh, in Abu Dhabi. So this is actually bold announcements with quite significant implications. And we've seen announcement in uh, Egypt very recently, uh, also just at the start of this year. Uh, again, uh, our partner Siemens with uh, the Minister of Energy in Egypt. And uh, to point out that Morocco in North Africa is pretty advanced. So there has been uh, a lot of uh, planning on green hydrogen, green ammonia projects. And when the German hydrogen, the national hydrogen strategy was announced in June last year, that was actually the first project with, which was signed by the German government, funded by this 2 billion euro international cooperation facility of the German hydrogen strategy. So I think all of this is quite uh, significant developments, uh, all uh, only uh, very recently. So this can make us confident um, that these projects, uh, you know, will become more and more concrete, will of course be developed and built um, in a, a reasonable time frame, and uh, with uh, much more to be announced. Uh, Oman, maybe to close, also has a few projects, uh, actually uh, two announced, uh, one uh, more in the south in Dukkum, and mm -hmm. uh, another one, so Oman also has keen plans to realize uh, green hydrogen projects powered by solar and wind energy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it, so that's that's quite a few things. And what's the timeline for most of these, uh, uh, you know, as far as when the startup might be uh, seen? Well, the Dubai project is obviously only a pilot project, but it's more or less up and running. The larger projects, uh, so NEOM has a timeline uh, to uh, be fully operational by 2025. Mm -hmm. which is quite ambitious. Uh, that's really a bold statement, you know, for a project of such a size. Uh, Morocco is a 100 megawatt project. So this will likely be operational uh, earlier, I would say. Uh, Oman, uh, I think, didn't disclose timelines, but it's probably similar that something uh, like uh, uh, NEOM in Saudi Arabia. 
uh, and uh, yeah, there's probably more to come. So um, I would assume that, uh, you know, uh, in, in four years from now, by 2025, mm -hmm. we will have uh, definitely uh, a few gigawatts of uh, green hydrogen projects operational here in the region. That's really interesting. So lots of really good early efforts. So, um, so what advantages do you think that the uh, kind of looking further down the line um, when some of these, you know, these pilot and demo projects and then some of the ones that are larger scale, um, you know, are more established, what advantages do you think that the MENA region has as a hydrogen producer and um, supplier or exporter, uh, especially with the renewable energy costs, um, particularly for solar and wind being among the lowest in the world? Um, do you think that MENA green hydrogen production could be could be competitive with uh, low-priced hydrogen projects in Europe. Yeah, absolutely. Well, more realistically, uh, probably outcompete, uh, even including transport costs in, in Europe. And uh, you know, it is a declared objective, obviously, to Europe being a, a primary energy importer, uh, having been so for decades, importing today 80% of primary energy. Uh, to want to import uh, green electrons and green molecules. So this is uh, uh, an integral part of uh, the European uh, hydrogen strategy, which was published in July last year. And together with uh, Hydrogen Europe, we could contribute with uh, the two mm -hmm. times 40 gigawatt uh, electrolyzer initiative uh, in this respect. Now, uh, here the region, as you rightly point out, has uh, uh, amazing uh, wind and solar conditions among the lowest cost in the world. So to give you a flavor, we are uh, last year's cost uh, 1.35 US dollar cents per kilowatt hour, the latest tender in Abu Dhabi. Uh, we are below two cents of um, the 2019 wind tender in Saudi Arabia. So it is reasonable uh, to assume that in a year from now, we'll hit sub one cent per kilowatt hour for solar in countries like UAE or, or Saudi. And wind uh, is also you know, fast going below, below two cents. So this alone, uh, also given the amazing combined solar and wind sites where you achieve high capacity factors, you know, which are crucial to have as many long uh, full load hours for the electrolyzers as possible. This is uh, one very important ingredient. Uh, the second ingredient is, uh, I would say, uh, the existing infrastructure and uh, the nature of uh, the business, if you look at GCC, for example, GCC has obviously uh, been uh, among the leading world's uh, oil and gas exporters. So there are potentially a lot of synergies, mm -hmm. both on the infrastructure side, but also on the client side, you know, uh, to step by step complement and of course replace as uh, less and less oil and gas will be needed over the, less, uh, the next decades. Um, you know, and become, uh, let's say, a hydrogen exporter. And, uh, you mm -hmm. know, uh, I said in the podcast last year that uh, green hydrogen has truly the potential to be the new green oil. And uh, we definitely uh, believe in this. And, uh, you know, the um, proximity to Europe as well um, is an important point. Uh, there's even existing gas pipelines from North Africa to Europe, which could be potentially converted uh, to full hydrogen uh, pipelines. So I think it's just a few factors and obviously, you know, uh, the close uh, ties to Europe. So I think all of this uh, gives uh, the region here uh, quite a competitive edge in becoming a global powerhouse, you know, for, for green electrons and uh, green molecules long term, which is exactly our mission, which we call Desert Tech 3.0. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, definitely. 
And that kind of leads me into another question I had for you. So speaking of the client side, so what, what pathways is uh, the MENA Hydrogen Alliance open up, opening up for eventual hydrogen trade between the MENA region and Europe? And how are the EU's new policies on hydrogen aiding these efforts? Uh, that's a good question. So obviously, as of today, there's no market existing for green mo molecules. Uh, and, you know, hydrogen is mainly produced captive, is not really transported. Uh, a smaller percentage, uh, approximately 20% of ammonia uh, is uh, shipped uh, globally. But, uh, you know, it's mainly a captive market. So for now, uh, the first objective is to uh, jointly create a market. And obviously, uh, this is both on the um, supply and the demand side. We feel that, uh, you know, Europe um, with the Green Deal was a very bold plan in decarbonizing Europe as a, a complete uh, continent, uh, as a first continent by, by 2050. Um, and uh, the hydrogen strategy um, has uh, really huge numbers with more than $500 billion potentially deployed for hydrogen over the next decades. So this is quite bold. So, and uh, the pressure to decarbonize, uh, particularly, you know, energy heavy industries such as uh, steel, chemicals, but then uh, on the mobility side, uh, on, uh, of course, heating and cooling. So there's many applications and this uh, pressure will obviously create significant demand. And we already feel this, you know, that uh, potential off-takers, uh, they are uh, starting, you know, to, to gorge uh, potential producers, uh, suppliers of uh, green hydrogen and green molecules uh, in the region. And um, yeah, and then of course, with uh, the big plans, the national hydrogen strategies, um, you know, the big objectives, they, they were declared last year, which is, uh, is very important. It's quite bold objectives, but now uh, the execution roadmap and the regulatory framework is indeed the next necessary step. And, you know, with, uh, with Hydrogen Europe, of course, we are uh, happy to continue to support like we did for the two times 40 gigawatt initiative uh, on this regulatory roadmap. Uh, my colleague Frank is actually working on this. And uh, so that's, uh, that's an important uh, point. And, uh, um, you know, step by step, I think we can uh, jointly work on getting all the prerequisites right to create a market, obviously, apart from regulatory uh, regimes and, uh, you know, a clear environment in this respect to be able to plan. Uh, there is topics like um, certifying, you know, the green origin of hydrogen, uh, there is uh, standardizations also from a, from a technical point of view. Um, there is uh, the question, you know, uh, how uh, green hydrogen will be treated vis-a-vis uh, uh, -vis other colors of hydrogen. Mm -hmm. uh, there's many open points, but we are very excited, you know, and we, we feel uh, it could be a, a relatively swift development now over the next uh, two years to work out uh, all of these points. Uh, to come hopefully uh, to, uh, you know, a, a fast development and uh, the transport options, uh, transport of green hydrogen and green molecules obviously is a massive uh, challenge. There are different options. Uh, none is ideal as of now, uh, but, uh, you know, that's also another field we are working on and, uh, you know, trying to identify uh, the best possibility, the most economic uh, and suitable uh, transport options, uh, you know, for, for different uh, applications and use cases. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, there's certainly a lot of initiative and, uh, and momentum from many different corners of the industry and, and uh, you know, and other, other reaches as well. So I think that, you know, 
I think we're going to see a lot of, uh, you know, that momentum continue over the past or over the next two years. And so I, I think you're right. Um, but basically, but yeah, kind of continuing uh, on to the idea of application. So, so based on your research and the initiatives that you're seeing now, um, which domestic sectors in the MENA region do you think hold the most promise for eventual hydrogen application from both a technical and a demand point of view? Uh, that's an interesting one. Uh, in Europe, it's uh, probably slightly different. So, of course, the focus should be to green, uh, you know, to defossilize uh, the energy systems uh, in MENA before even thinking about export. It will be probably a bit of a parallel development, uh, realistically speaking, uh, which is also okay. But uh, the domestic use cases, um, they vary from country to country. So if you look at a country like Morocco, Morocco today is importing around 2 million tons of ammonia every year, which is equivalent to half a billion dollars. And, uh, you know, Morocco uh, importing more than 90% of primary energy resources could, of course, well green uh, these uh, dirty ammonia uh, imports, uh, which is uh, alone probably something like a six gigawatt uh, opportunity. Mm -hmm. uh, so these are the low hanging fruits. And this will, of course, come as economics, uh, you know, they're not uh, far from, uh, from a business case. Uh, where in a few years from now, we expect actually green hydrogen, you know, to become uh, competitive uh, with, uh, uh, well, conventional or low carbon hydrogen. So um, this is quite, uh, quite an interesting one. And of course, will potentially have geopolitical implications in a way that, you know, the big energy importers in the past might be even energy exporters in the future. Now, for countries like uh, the UAE and Saudi Arabia, obviously the use cases, they are different. So one uh, low hanging fruit, I would say, is on the mobility side, something like uh, fuel cell buses, which uh, in countries like Neom could be an interesting one on the UAE, you know, where you need uh, long ranges um, and where also um, electrifications with uh, batteries is somewhat uh, challenging due to high temperatures. Mm -hmm. But this could be an interesting use case, you know, on fuel cell uh, mobility, starting with uh, buses, for example, but maybe uh, some other, uh, you know, forms of uh, transport and then eventually probably in a later wave uh, fuel cell electric uh, vehicles. Um, well, range extenders even for e-cars um, uh, could, be, could be interesting. Then obviously uh, things like uh, boats uh, on ports, there's different applications um, where hydrogen might play a role. Um, steel um, is another possibility, you know, to um, mm -hmm. uh, to substitute coking coal in a direct reduction process where the global steel act industry actually has to. And this is also important to remain competitive because in Europe, obviously, uh, you know, there will be a carbon border tax. So steel imported from the region here to Europe will be penalized. So there is also an implicit incentive, you know, to reduce the CO2 footprint for the industry here and uh, as well as chemicals, for example. You know, the region obviously has substantial chemical industries. And I think, again, there is a natural incentive, you know, to step by step, uh, you know, defossilize uh, and uh, in such a way, uh, you know, significantly reduce um, uh, the carbon footprint. Uh, other applications, uh, probably a little bit more longer off power generation uh, by hydrogen um, or, uh, for example, uh, cooling 
more than heating in Europe, but cooling is obviously here in summer uh, mm. relevant. So, uh, but uh, you know, there might be a role in this. And also, uh, by the way, there's a huge uh, seasonal challenge. While Europe has a higher energy requirement in winter due to heating, the GCC uh, has a much higher energy requirement in summer due to cooling up to 70% uh, of electricity load in summer is cooling, which is, uh, you know, it's just mind blowing. And obviously yeah. uh, there's a huge uh, efficiency potential, but also to store seasonally and, you know, to store, uh, for example, in underground rock formations, uh, something like salt caverns mm -hmm. uh, and bridge uh, seasonal uh, demand and supply gaps. This might be a really interesting uh, perspective here for the energy system. Definitely. So it sounds like there's definitely a lot of potential for hydrogen growth in, in the region and, and, you know, not only for use in the region, but then also, you know, as an industry and for, <clears throat> excuse me, the MENA region to be a supplier. So um, sounds like a lot of promise and it sounds like what you're doing with, uh, with DII and, and MENA Hydrogen Alliance and Desert Tech is uh, going to really help further those efforts. So um, really appreciate you sharing your views with us on H2 Tech Talk today, uh, Cornelius, and uh, appreciate you being our guest. And um, thank you very much for your time. And uh, hope everybody enjoyed this uh, episode of H2 Tech Talk. And um, we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks again, Cornelius. Thanks again, Oren. Really appreciate it.